from Washington. This is the HPS Macrocast with Hamilton Place Strategies and Markets Policy Partners. Good morning. It's Friday, November 5th, and uh, we've got a big jobs day macrocast for uh, for you today. It's Tony Fratto with Hamilton Place Strategies, uh, John Fagan, Brendan Walsh with Marcus Policy Partners, and Matt McDonald with us as he is on every uh, jobs day, if not on other days as well, but uh, always on, on jobs day. Uh, Matt, this was uh, this is a pretty newsy juicy uh, jobs report today, including, um, you know, revisions and, and uh, um, sector news. Why don't I let you run through, uh, run through the numbers and then, uh, and then we'll be able to dive into it. Yeah. The, uh, the jobs report was solid all around. Um, it, the headline number is 531,000 jobs created in October. The Unemployment rate went down to 4.6%. That's down two-tenths of a percent. Um, Some of the uh, kind of underlying numbers, uh, leisure and hospitality was up 164,000. Manufacturing was up 60,000. Things were up pretty much across the board. The one lagging uh, area is local government, local education, and who knows, there's probably there's probably some, uh, you know, statistical data gathering stuff that that goes into that. Um, some other pieces that jumped out to me, um, you know, in context, looks like we're still down a little over four million jobs from where we were pre pandemic. Um, labor force participation rate is still not at the highs we were. And, you know, it, it's a question of where we can get back to on some of those things. The other big piece of this is that wages are, you know, wages continue to be up. Wages are up a little on just under 5% year over year in this uh, report. So um, that is, and Matt, that, that is 4 million good, number but... also fits. There was a survey last week that showed about 4 million people are out of work because of COVID, whether you're, you have it, you you're scared of it, or you're, or you're caring for somebody or your kid. So yeah, that's th- right. these numbers I think are, are pretty accurate on that front. Yep, there was a, it was just, just uh, still down just over 4 million and it's just shy of, of 4 million that reported unable to work due to pandemic related, um, as you say, this, that, and the other. Um, there's still one, you know, one other piece of still um, 11% of those employed are reported teleworking because of the... Uh, that was an amazing number. Yeah, it was way less than I would have thought. But I mean, we're this, in the northeast. This falls, where everyone this falls can do into it. for me. This number, I I I like uh, throwing this number at people because um, I think if you don't know that thirty percent of the uh, U.S. population has a college degree, then eleven yeah. percent feels like really low. But that's just because it's the waters that you swim in. Like you, yeah. you're not, yeah. yeah. No, I agree. Um, the, the, I think it's also time for us to get back to the office. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, the uh, did, did you mention the revisions, Matt, uh, for October? That was probably the biggest, uh, biggest number. What was it? Two hundred and thirty-five thousand extra jobs uh, created than we thought but over the last two months, right? Two months. Yep. Yeah, which is like you, you know, I mean, it's uh, you know, it's not that it would have made. Well, I mean, who knows? Maybe there'll be more revisions added back into September. Right. Something that yep. made uh, the, the September numbers look great, but 
we would have been talking about solid September numbers if we had been talking about something in the, you know, uh, you know, 350,000 plus uh, range, we would have said, okay, we'd still love to see half a million, but that's pretty good. And we'd had a decidedly different take on, uh, on September, I think, uh, rather than the number that began with a one. Um, I also, you know, on that point, I also think it's worth pointing out. I mean, we talked about this. We talked about this at the very beginning of the pandemic, but haven't, haven't revisited it much. But, you know, th- the reality is that our, our economic data gathering processes are not built for weird stop and start kind yeah. of like very strange circumstances like this. They're built for incrementalism and mer- me- and measuring increment. Um, so when you get these wild swings of like, you know, shutting down the economy and starting up the economy and mask mandates in place and then lifted and guidance changing and all this sort of stuff, you know, I think we have to, <laughs> we probably need to give BLS like a little bit of slack in terms of trying to uh, measure their way through all this. That's right, especially and especially on the um, uh, especially on the 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 the, uh, the establishment uh, survey on the um, the uh, which is a model, right? I mean, like it's it's just hard to model those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, usually on the first take, they 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 get about seventy five to eighty percent of the response, and then the next couple months they get all the way up to hundred. But in the pandemic, it's been considerably lower than than normal, and it, it's not their fault. Just mm-hmm. <laughs> companies have bigger bigger stuff to deal with than uh, responding to the BLS right now. So we learned. So we learned a couple. So we learned something today, right? I mean that. Uh, you I know, think so. So, uh, yeah. so the, the 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 job situation is uh, is actually steadily improving. I mean, still, uh, especially in the, the the leisure and hospitality. A lot of these jobs, almost two hundred thousand, were in you know leisure and hospitality, and that's where especially from anecdotal evidence that the companies have been having a hard time hiring. One of the things about leisure and hospitality is uh, that we forget about also is that as that sector comes back is, uh, you know, Austin Goolsbee made a point today, uh, which I think is a very good point, which is that, um, you know, one of the things that happened during, uh, you know, during COVID was this massive shift from, uh, us spending our, you know, consumers spending money on uh, services and just spending money on in, in goods, you know. And so when people have been talking about supply chain issues this whole time, there's been this feeling that, well, like, you know, the supply chains are are broken and things are Great getting point. into the country. And the, the truth is, there was a massive shift. We're actually, we're actually distributing more goods more. than we yep. ever have before. It's just that our tastes have changed and demand on the thing. So, you know, one of the things that should really um, mitigate supply chain issues is just a consumer shift back to the things that we usually spend on, which are things like going to, you know, hotels and movies and resorts and uh, and things like that, which are services. Yeah. And, the, 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 um, the public yeah. gyms have reported that their their forecasts are actually to to now in 2022 have 105% of what they had in 2019. So more people are going to come back to the gym 
than than before, uh, which which or, or at least by gym memberships. I said like we membership. We not, yeah, yeah, you might not go, but yeah, we will not be we will not be fully healed until people are just buying memberships and not going to the gym. Right, exactly. That's, that's what yeah, shares of, shares of Peloton are down like thirty percent this morning after some very sober guidance, and uh, it has some you know the the typical Twitter snark. This is the end of the pandemic. You can see it in Peloton stock. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. no, but I think it is true. Well, so. The Pfizer news today on the, the antiviral drug that, you know, basically if you take it, you get it and you take it, you're not going to die. That, that's a big deal. Like Dr. Gottlieb said, you know, I think, you know, by the end of the year, we'll, we'll be able to transition from the pandemic stage to the endemic stage. He was strong. He was much strong. He, he was like, he's he not a news today. Yeah, he, he's not prone to hyperbole. <laughs> no. And he said, yeah, look, he, and what he said is that we're looking at the end of the pandemic in the United States. That's yep. what he said. Those are the words. He said, that's what we're looking at. If you have vaccines and you have uh, these uh, uh, you know, therapeutic drugs that keep you from going to the hospital and dying, that's kind of the end. And, uh, when, and uh, you know, obviously, we need to get kids vaccinated uh, also so people feel comfortable about not creating conditions to create new mutations in, right. in, the, in the coronavirus. But that's what those are the words of Scott Gottlieb used. And I, I kind of trust him. No, there's I agree. Some, some it, classic, a big day. Like, you there's know? some classic, uh, like, going to be some lag effects on all this, though. You know, you talk about like uh, goods and services and all the rest of it. We're seeing we're seeing lots of very typical bullwhip effects in supply chains and how this stuff is is um, running through in terms of yeah like gym memberships are going to spike and then they're going to collapse and like people there's a rush for this and the rush for that. And like, you know, how many Peloton bikes are waiting in uh, the, <laughs> to be unloaded at the port of Los Angeles right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And like used cars, it's going to be like, you know, yeah. at some point that, that, you know, that Ford with a hundred thousand miles on it, it's like, wait, what am I paying for this? <laughs> it's not worth 27 million dollars i definitely look i i bought a, I bought you know we we bought a new car uh uh two months ago and uh i'll tell you like we got way more for our seven-year-old uh jeep brand <laughs> than i ever imagined we would get and i mean i was like blown away by uh by the number and uh, i think we timed the market just about right on that yeah just to just to frame this jobs data in the in the feds mandates uh so to speak Matt, I'm interested in your take on the uh, on the wage situation. Obviously, the uh, the inflation hawks on the Fed and elsewhere are pointing to uh, rising wages, and uh, and that is the you know the the incipient the spark of the spiral uh, and so forth. How are you seeing the the wage situation uh, when you dig through the numbers? I mean, I my take on it is that there's there's probably some healthy pressure. I do think it's going to get eaten up by there's going to be some, some of it's going to get eaten up by inflation. But I think that um, when you think about Fed policy and how, what they typically talk about like an 18 month lag in Fed policy type of thing. Is that like the the rule of thumb over there? I I mean, when you think about, I I do think a lot about uh, like supply chain dynamics and system dynamics and how this stuff is rolling through the economy. And I think it's probably from a policymaker perspective, it's probably a really good idea to keep a fairly steady rudder on everything until things settle out. Right. Cause 
if you've still got 4 million people on the sidelines, give or take, you know, as those people re-enter the workforce, that is going to have some effect on wage pressure, I would expect. Um, And you don't want to, there's just so many dynamics at work. You don't want to overcorrect in one direction or another. And it's, you you know, I think that there's just a lot of uh, temptation to react at a time that's still pretty volatile. So I don't, I mean, I'm, I've, I am in the quote unquote transient camp, whatever you want to call that. I, I, but I don't, I do think it's, I think it's largely a function of the pandemic and supply chains and all that sort of stuff. And I'm not sure that it means that you're not going to see some measures of inflation stick around, but I certainly think as a, as a matter of like the fed managing the economy, I think they need to keep like a pretty steady hand because they, what the worst case in my view is that, you know, they pull back and then they go forward and then they pull back and then they go forward and everybody's trying to calibrate. They've got to be like the rock that is like, okay, we're just going to keep going a little more and like, let, let some of these things work themselves through the system. Yeah. And it's, it's a point that Tony's often made is we talk about, okay, inflation's too high. So the fed has to act the way the fed asks is to raise rates, which lowers growth, which, reduces inflation but it also reduces growth and that's the look, part of the, the the equation that we don't talk look, about from, you know? from a jobs perspective i think that the the mental model that a lot of people bring to jobs and bls and jobs day and all this sort of stuff is like oh people want jobs and what we need to do is have more employers making jobs so people can get jobs because people want jobs that's like very very strong mental model both certainly politically, but then also in terms of the the economic side of it. And the reality is that the jobs are a market and it takes a person to want a job and it takes a person to create a job. And right now, I think that you have fewer people for a host of reasons wanting the jobs. So there's also some element of uh, on the monetary policy side and like the fiscal policy side for that matter is like, you, you can only push on the string so long. We need to, and I think that's part of the reason, you know, like the, the pandemic news this week in terms of um, approvals for 5 to 11, in terms of the new Pfizer drug and all this sort of stuff, I think is probably bigger news than this job day. You yeah. know, I think it's because you're not, we've all, everybody said for a long I think time. You're right. that, but it's something you were kind of getting at, Matt, though, is it's on this, like, like there is, so there, there, so there's sort of aggregate questions about, you know, jobs and demand for jobs and growth and what the Fed can do to help spur growth and what fiscal can do to spur growth. There are also dislocations with, that have to do with changing opportunities and tastes of workers. And so I had a little back and forth today with Claudia Sam, who's, you know, former Fed economist and provocateur. Uh, but we were, we were talking about this, you know, uh, like the, the, so the shift in the numbers from like the reduction in, in the number of uh, uh, jobs in warehouses and distribution. Right. And, and so, so you do see some of the shift. And I said, look, as someone who was a former waiter, um, you know, I, I've been watching this and, and thinking to myself, well, what would I do? You know, if I was, had been a waiter and my waiting job went away, I went to go work in a warehouse and would I go the, sh- the shift back to the restaurant? And in some cases, you're seeing, you know, increasing wages in restaurants, you know, but I said, 
you know, look, the life of a, of a waiter is really tough. Like I, I said, I would, I determined, I would probably go back because I love food and restaurants and I love being around people. So I'd probably go back. I wouldn't go back because the con- working conditions are better, right? And the hours are better. Hours suck if you want to get like good evening tips, right? Hours suck. It's physically demanding to be like walking back and forth all day long. And, you know, it's like, it's, it's demanding. Like warehouse jobs actually can be pretty nice, you know, regular hours and regular uh, compensation. And so you have these dislocations that are going on as well as people sort of rebalance their taste. So say, so she made the point that, look, fortunately restaurants are increasing wages and that's great. I will tell you that in a city like New York City, you, know, you can you increase wages on a very thin margin restaurant business. Like some of those restaurants are not going to come back if they have to pay those wages. So there's like if those they can't people, pass on those wages to customers too, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, and like the rents are, are are extremely high. You know, being in the city is hot. Uh, the costs of uh, uh, in the city are very high. If you then have to like you know marginally increase your your comp for uh, for syrup, you know, for waiters, you're just going to have fewer, and you're going to you know the the surviving restaurants will do better, and that's that's fine. But it's just a, that's just a rebalancing. But those dislocations yes. are not easily trans. You know, like like those stories are harder to describe when you're just talking about like the aggregate job numbers and Tony, what it like and what the Fed can do. Yeah, Tony, you've you've probably heard me say this before, but. But for like businesses, this is like the Forrest Gump in the hurricane thing, right? It's like, he, right. you know, he, he, he cat, catches like five shrimp in a can and then the hurricane comes through and destroys all the boats and then business is booming. And it's like, I think on the, you know, after things settle out on the back end of the pandemic, if people have, if businesses have been able to manage their way fit through, I think things will be good. But we are seeing a reestablishment of equilibriums across a whole bunch of different dimensions of the economy and that. That's going to take a little time. I think we're probably getting there. You know, I would be surprised if by spring we were seeing the same kind of, you know, shortages, surplus, delays, all that sort of stuff. I mean, you know, it's going to take a little time, but both the demand side and the supply side are both calibrating against this, you know. I agree. And Fed Chair Powell in his post-decision press conference was asked a lot about you know, what is full employment and uh, as you know, in the, on that mandate, and that's clearly the, the benchmark for when they're going to lift off on interest rate hikes. And he just was just just as we've all been talking about, just not going to go there. Right. It's there's too many. There are too many cross currents right now. There's no policy reason why you would need to define it at the moment. They've got the taper, set it and forget it. Right. It's 15 billion dollars a month. That's about eight months of relative policy certainty. Everybody expects the bar to be extremely high for them to go faster or slower on that pace. And so during this period of time, they're going to be doing a lot of pencil sharpening on the issue of full employment. And uh, we're we're just not there yet. I I thought that that was his best press conference of his, of his career. He, He really did a very good job of laying it out. On that, on that point from, from like the business perspective too, you know, we talked about some of the bullwhips and back and forth and stuff. One thing that doesn't really work that way is wages, because wages tend to be sticky. And when they go up, you're applying a new floor. And I think that's part, you know, like economists, when you read these stories about I can't find workers, economists love to say, well, pay more and you'll find the workers, right? Which I have some sympathy for. But 
At the same time, if you're a business and you think that there's going to be a whole bunch of workers coming in around the corner, and to Tony's point is like you're dealing with rents or you're dealing with food costs or whatever else you're dealing with, you know, you're going to try and stretch that out as long as you can if you think that like wages are like bumping up now, but they're going to like go back down as people re-enter the workforce because because of that stickiness question. Why don't we take a break and come back and talk about some of the political economy stuff. We had, we had elections, we have um, the, um, you know, infrastructure and build back better uh, bills on the house floor, likely expected to be on the house floor uh, before uh, this day is over. Uh, so why don't we take a break and come back and dive into those issues. Hamilton Place Strategies, HPS, is an analytical public affairs consulting firm with offices in Washington, D.C., New York, and California. HPS uses substantive analysis to understand complex topics and create public affairs tools to explain issues to target audiences and reach critical stakeholders. We achieve our clients' goals by enhancing understanding of issues, products, and companies, and ultimately improving outcomes. Learn more at hamiltonplacestrategies.com. Or follow us on Twitter at HPS Insight. All right, back on the macrocast. Hey guys, like so we had um, so first we had we had the the the, uh, the elections in um, in Virginia and New Jersey. Um, while it looks like uh, Governor Murphy in New Jersey is going to eke out a narrow uh, win, these are just the headlines, by the way. Like Governor New Jersey eked, eked out a narrow win, apparently. The, uh, uh, the the open race for governor of Virginia went very badly for uh, for Democrats Terry McAuliffe uh, losing to um, uh, to Glenn Youngkin, uh, which you know it's kind of a, like a sort of a return to it was like the, the the establishment strikes back. You know, he kind of had this like you know former Carlisle executive kind of running down the middle of the uh, of uh, you know normal sort of Republican politics. Uh, and- <laughs> right. And winning back um, in, in kind of a, maybe it's kind of a post-Trump, but I, I wouldn't try to read too much into it. But the, but the, the, for, for our purposes, you know, the politics around this was uh, and all of the talk in recent weeks was, you know, this if this day goes really poorly for Democrats and it did, um, that this would spell doom for their prospects on the Hill for the Biden agenda. Uh, Biden's numbers are are pretty low right now. They're in the low 40s, um, historically low for a president at this point in his term, with the exception of Donald J. Trump. And so very, you know, very low popularity, doesn't have coattails. Uh, The Biden agenda is going to be on the rocks if the day goes poorly. It went poorly for Democrats. And yet Nancy Pelosi is bringing both the uh, infrastructure bill and there, the House Build Back Better bill to the floor today. Um, and I'm going to bet that both of these bills pass. I think the infrastructure bill uh, uh, passes because to me, one of the lessons coming out of Tuesday was you guys just have to start getting stuff done. And, you know, whatever it is, get stuff done. Like you guys look, you know, incompetent uh, and incompetent does not sell well. And I also think on the on the Build Back Better plan, I think the House is just exhausted of trying to craft a bill that they think Mansion Cinema uh, and uh, the Democratic majority in the Senate will 
will pass. And I think they've just decided we're going to pass our own bill, whether it whether it uh, gets through the Senate in the uh, intact or not. Um, we need to put it in their lap and let them figure out what they can get through their chamber. I don't think it's going to I don't think they're going to come to a vote today. I, I you, on either bill on either bill, Matt. No, I think I think like, I don't know, Lucy and the football too many times on this. I think that there's like they if if Nancy Pelosi were the type of legislator who held votes to show people that the X can't pass, which is a a theory of like um, congressional leadership management. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could see it coming to a vote and just being like, guys, this is this is what we got. This is what we can pass. This is what we can't pass. But she doesn't do that. She doesn't hold votes if she doesn't have the votes. And there's nothing. I, I don't. The dynamics in the party between the moderates and the progressives is like, you know, moderate versus double down versus. I, I just it. I don't know. I just don't. I there, And there's so many. I mean, from day to day, you get radical shifts in terms of what's in it and what's not in it. And like, I just I I just don't. It, it It's possible. Um, but I just I don't see it coming together today. The, uh, the, one, the one thing that that makes me side closer with Tony, I mean, we've had a lot of self-imposed deadlines get blown through. So it wouldn't necessarily be a big surprise if we had another one today. Uh, and certainly there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of stickiness over the, the state and local tax deductions, the, uh, the drug pricing, and these are challenging issues. I think the, the thing that's uh, pushed me up more into Tony's camp was the, uh, the progressive caucus response to mansions uh, continued uh, sort of hand waving around it in the middle of the week where Manchin, you know, came out again after basically like crafting the bill and saying, I don't understand it. And I got to see more details and trashing it and that sort of thing. And the progressive caucus said, we we're just going to, we're just going to pass what we're going to pass. And we expect the president to bring 51 votes in the Senate. We can't deal with this guy anymore. We're just going to do the best we can here and, uh, and hope that the president can drag these folks along. And, uh, and I think that that was, that took the temperature down. There wasn't, you know, it sort of defused the, uh, to some extent, the, uh, the, the, the entrenched warfare between the, uh, the centrists and the, and the liberal wing. So we'll see. Uh, but that, that I think was a, was a constructive sign in the middle of the week that, that shows, you know, it's, it is going to be, it's going to be the, the Senate, uh, on the, you know, in the coming week, the, the, uh, Majority Leader Schumer said that he was going to be working with Manchin very closely over the coming week uh, to get the to come to grips with the reconciliation bill and to try to pass it before Thanksgiving. So we'll we'll see. But uh, that's and and obviously the White House is is energized and uh, and galvanized by the results. Uh, I think that we saw on Tuesday. I mean, now the Democrats are you know the 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 assumption is you're going to get bounced in the midterms unless you do something different. And, uh, and that's, you know, at least it's certain, right. You don't have to guess, <laughs> right. There's, if you, if you don't pass these bills, you're going to get trashed in the midterms big time. Yeah. And I think look to, um, to Matt's um, you know, if I was going to argue Matt's Matt's side on this uh, and I still, I still think that's right. But if I was going to argue Matt's side on this. If you are, you put yourselves in the shoes of, that that the, you know that handful of moderate Democratic members like Abigail Spanberger and Connor Lamb and a couple of others who they just saw, they did just see what happened in New Jersey and Virginia they are in Abigail Spanberger's in Virginia 
um, they, you know, they, they see that, right. Those are like flashing red lights and, and they're going to be asked to vote on this bill. And the thing that they've been asking about is saying like, don't make us vote for a bill that isn't going to become law. And that's why that's what, that's what, that's the, the, um, you know, the, uh, the, what, what Pelosi has been you know, sort of focused on doing, doing enough for the progressives, but don't, don't force the moderates to vote on something that isn't going to become law. Now, she said she wouldn't do that. If she does put this on the floor today, that is exactly what she's doing. She is, in fact, asking them to vote on something that will not become law. In fact, Manchin's has said, I'm not even working off that paperwork. You know, we're going to do we're working off our own paper. So, you know, she has gone back on her word like a few a few times on this. I still it's, think they just they're just exhausted. And they, it's, they want it's not them. only it's not only that combined with the whatever it is, three vote margin that they can't lose, which is basically zero. It's also the fact of like there's been such careening around what is actually in the bill or not in the bill. I mean, these are like. That they're debating things that are like that should have been resolved in like March. I, I mean, it's really kind of like at the point of like, well, we gotta we gotta pass something. What what's in it? And like, we'll find they, out. It's just, thought, yeah, I do think like you know, for the guys who've been the 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 public vocal, mo- the moderates who've been public vocal, <clears throat> uh, vocal about uh, holding up that bill and, and just getting. Um, and just getting uh, uh, the infrastructure bill done, the Josh Gottheimer led uh, group, they, uh, you know, they, it looks like they've got a deal on salt, right? Like, so salt was their big issue. Now, salt may have just been a stocking horse for a bunch of other stuff that they don't want to vote on, you know, that they didn't want in the bill either. That's possible. But they did get this deal, right? And this is the thing that they've been pushing for. So that does get that. I do think you are in numbers where you are, she's, is, you know, Pelosi is probably trying to cobble together that last, you know, five or six votes to get to 2018. And that's my sense is like, that's where she's, that's where she's, that's where she's at. And it's, uh, it's, it, you know, cause as, as John said, the progressives are on board with this. They seem to be on board with this strategy. They seem to be on board with allowing uh, the infrastructure bill to pass. It seems like the salt cabal are uh, in, you know, in, uh, in something like a good place, even Bernie Sanders, said that he's uh you know he's good with that uh but, but, but tony just to clarify so are they bringing both bills to the that's the today? plan no, that's yeah, the yeah, plan. yeah 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 because because the infra- the bipartisan infrastructure bill can pass the senate if it passes the house infrastructure bill is done straight to the, it's yeah, yeah straight yes. to the president's death it's been the yeah. it's been the the house that has been holding it up i'm just i'm just kind of yeah and, and and look my sense is the white house is saying all right i let you guys you know, I, I, I uh, acknowledge your process and your strategy. Now bring me the damn bill. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I've just got my, you know, that was, they talked about Biden's loss and Biden can't get things done, you know, send me the bill. And I think Biden needs a win today more than anybody does. And I think they're going to send him that bill, whether they get, whether I think they're going to, you know, bring uh build back better to the floor. And, and and also a pass. question. Yeah, so does the House bill, the 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 um the reconciliation bill, tackle the the debt ceiling? Eventually, look, we're not talking about get- they'll they'll tack that on later. Uh, later, yeah, yeah, okay, exactly. yeah. yeah. They're gonna they're gonna have to use uh, reconciliation to raise the debt ceiling probably sometime in December, whether or not 
uh, there right. is a that, whether that that there's space. anything attached to that bill. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So look, that's where that look. That's where we are. I mean, like you know, I, I don't know. It's a coin flip whether who's right, me or Matt, and we'll like we'll know. You know, I just don't think like I I, I just don't think it's going to happen today. Like by the time by the time we by the time the macrocast reconvenes next Friday. I would put the likelihood as more likely that there will have been votes on this. I just think there's like too much messiness to like get. Well, it done you're not invited Friday. next week, so we don't yeah. really care what you say. Well, I'll I'll uh, I'll gloat in <laughs> on Twitter or something if I'm correct. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's the place for those kind of things. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> what Twitter, was, Twitter was invented for. Exactly. Correct. <laughs> Uh, what else we had, we you know we did we talked about Peloton earnings. Um, anything else that struck you from uh, from you know from earnings this week? Um, earnings are are, are continued to be incredibly strong. Yeah. Earnings are hampered by the supply chains, but we did see some guidance from especially you know car makers. Ford thought that by the first quarter, you know, we should kind of be through these supply chains, especially on the semiconductor side. So there, there is optimism going forward that we can work through this, uh, which then goes back to the Fed's optimism that we this is transitory. Uh, we just don't know exactly how long transitory is, but it kind of looks like maybe it's, it's, it's you know, four to six months, uh, mm-hmm. which, which speaks really well to, to 2022 that, you know, we've been talking about the roaring 20s again, but it, it, it actually might happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this... this- Earnings season featured a lot of dogs that didn't bark. There were clearly some high-profile flops, and particularly over in the uh, over in the IT space, you know, the right. Apple and Amazon. But in terms of the companies that were, you know, everyone was biting their fingernails about getting their margins squeezed and input costs, and those obviously were factors. But the degree to which management has uh, has adapted to those problems and continued to keep their profitability high, pointing to a strong demand. It's really been a relatively impressive feat, and so I think that there was, you know, there was some, there was there was definitely some indigestion coming into this uh, in terms of market sentiment, and uh, and the worst fears certainly weren't realized uh, by these results. I mean, and I would also say that management has proven to matter. Good CEOs and CFOs have found ways to to make sure that the supply chain kept going. And weaker ones didn't. So it, it wasn't just everybody uh, wasn't able to get their goods. It's, you know, the, the, the good the, the good leaders found a way to uh, to make it work. I'd say, look, I mean, there, I would say definitely I think that's 100 percent right. Matt was that's you know, Matt's point was it it's not just, uh, you know, the fate of uh, of storms. I mean, storms, stress and test management teams and their abilities um, and uh, and so the, it's true. I think when you come out the other end, like the really really good companies end up doing better. We should also know that scale matters. Also, yeah. Um, you know, and uh, you know, bigger companies uh, tend to be more durable in these situations. So you're you're able to see companies like Walmart and Amazon out there being able to, you know, Walmart uh, was you know commissioning their own ships right uh you know they right i mean literally they, they ships yeah literally their own ships in order to make sure that they're getting their the products on their shelves um uh for the coming months and you know smaller companies can't do that they're you know they have to rely on uh on you know others uh for those services and you know so you know so those are you know those are that's just the way it is big you know big ships tend to 
tend to survive storms in the ocean also. Um, yeah, that was a big mistake we made in markets policy that we invested all of our profits into building a Navy. That was pretty dumb. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that happened this week was OPEC. Uh, OPEC came out again in defiance of the White House and stuck with their Oh, gradual, good point. Yep. Yeah, their gradual program of reintroducing supply onto the markets. This is a $400,000 a barrel, I mean, 400,000 uh, barrels per day cadence that they are slowly uh, rolling back the, the supply curbs that they imposed during the height of the COVID crisis to support prices. Uh, this is going to get them back to pre-COVID production levels, I think around September of next year. That's pretty slow, particularly when you see oil prices at multi-year highs and, and trending. And, uh, and so, and when you have governments, not just the Biden administration, but from, you know, Beijing to Brussels grappling with energy crises, essentially in these places to, to have the cartel, you know, crossing, folding their arms and saying, nope. Yeah. You know, it was no a big for you know, you. middle finger to the, to the Biden administration. So, so now there's speculation that the Biden administration will release um, oil from the strategic reserve. I, I have a question just who runs the strategic reserve? Is that a treasury? No, it's not. It's a, uh, it's a state department actually. State department. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bizarre place that we have state department involved, uh, you know, because it, because, you know, because it's, you know, strategic. And, yes, exactly. Uh, it's a national security issue. Right. Uh, but of course they know nothing about economics over the state department. So, um, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, an look, look, by the way, though, the, the, what, what you just teed up, right. Is like, I mean, we shouldn't forget that it, like this was cop 26 week, like, yep. we, like save the planet, pump more oil. Uh, <laughs> Literally like the messages coming out this week, a uh, little, just a little bit. Um, yeah. He was conference. giving these speeches at cop 22, <laughs> please pump more oil. Yeah. And then it's, it's, he turns around and talks about uh, saving the uh, environment. It's not a good look, as the kids say these days, but uh, certainly uh, it's uh, born of necessity here. The carbon crowd is crowing and just spiking the football here. It's, you know, the the commentary that you get is, you know, oh, we're so bad and evil. And now you come crawling back to us. And uh, OPEC is is certainly playing that up. I think over over the long term, it's self-defeating. Uh, but OPEC isn't necessarily the most foresightful uh, cartel and, uh, and group on the planet. But, you know, it's 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 pretty clear that they're trying to prove a point, And it is a point that they they are proving. Uh, you know, we're seeing some, you know, we're seeing Russia doing uh, sim- something similar with natural gas over in Europe, that Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Boy, they are, you know, wouldn't it be convenient? They keep saying if you have uh, if you have approval for this uh, controversial gas pipeline and uh, and over in China, you know, we're seeing Beijing basically taking, you know, hammer and tongs to the to the uh, coal and energy markets over there. Beijing doesn't let markets push them around. Uh, the way that Western governments uh, tend to. And, uh, and so they're, you know, they don't, they don't have the same kind of compunctions and sort of allergies to capping, you know, input prices. So they're capping coal prices. And, uh, and that's, that's how, that's how they're rolling here. And, uh, and so we're seeing some, you know, we're seeing some of the prices coming off the, the incredible peaks that they've, uh, that they've reached, but certainly still very elevated. It's a, it's a challenging circumstance. It's a policy conundrum. And, uh, and, you know, when you look at renewables, obviously they're taking the, you know, 
make us make our economies renewable and sustainable, but not yet. And uh, and it's 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 a very choppy period. All right. What do we got looking forward to uh, to next week? Pretty quiet week. Um, we have some trade data. Um, that's kind of the biggest ones, right, John? Is oh, inflation thing? data. We've got CPI. Oh, we have CPI. You're right. Oh, that's, that's right. Yeah. yeah. That's the big stuff next week. Um, yeah. Both here and in Europe. Well, I think, look, I, I, honestly, like the, the news today, I think, um, is actually really terrific. You know, I mean, you know, really good jobs report. I think we should I'd be happy about that. The Pfizer news, I think is like amazing, which is, yep. you know, I mean, the advances of medical science on both uh, the, the vaccines and therapeutics. Yep. And amazing. kids are getting vaccinated. So it, yeah. this was a big week when we look back in history. Uh, it, it might be the, the turning point in this pandemic. I think I want to I want to believe that we had, we had a false dawn last summer, you know, where right. we, thought, we thought there was a light at the end of the tunnel. And that, that light ended up to be like the Delta Express. Literally the, the was beginning like of the worst us, wave you know? that we had. <laughs> right. Terrible. Yeah, but I think this this seems different to me. This seems like um, uh, these are really, really good, you know, sort of durable uh, signs. And, and I, I, I'm going to go into the weekend feeling pretty good about it. All right, guys. I think we can plan a Christmas party. That's, that's, what, that's, that's what I'm hoping for. All right, guys. Have a great weekend. Uh, we'll see you next week on the Macrocast. Thank you for listening to the HPS Macrocast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and share.